Well, hello. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this week's NTT20 podcast, the Monday podcast, which is sponsored by the Skybet EFL Rewards app. I'm Ali Maxwell. On the line with me, Quest Pundit, George (laughs) Ellick. We saw him on the Carabao Cup highlight show uh, an early Saturday this season. Now it's the first league start of your Quest career and what an accomplished display. Looked like you played <laughs> looked like you played a hundred league games for EFL on Quest. Uh, how did you find it alongside Darren Bent, a man who I can remember scoring an absolute ton of goals as a footballer? Of Premier League goals as well. I mean, yeah. that's the that's the funny thing about it. Um yeah, no, it was it was great to be on. Um thanks very much to the gaffer Tommy Smith for giving me my, my league debut, um, who is the producer at Quest and, and a great man. Um, that was a really fun day. It was kind of great because we spoke before the show, kind of when we came in um, before the kickoff, saying it would be good if there was some kind of good trick-or-treat Halloween action. And there were both loads of red cards with really dirty challenges and loads of really good goals. So it kind of worked worked a treat in that sense. Um, but yeah, great to be with Colin and, and Darren. And um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm back on, unless they... They dropped me to the bench again. Um, I think I'm back on in a couple of weeks. So exciting times. D-Bent scored 24 league goals in one season for Sunderland in 09-10. Absolutely yeah, astonishing. They um, do them now, to be honest. Because um, I kind of asked him why he wasn't still playing, because he's 36. And he basically said the hunger, the hunger had gone mm. and he didn't really fancy kind of dropping down to League 1 and League 2. But then when he was watching the League 2 highlights, he turned to me he said like, Mate, I reckon I could score like twenty here easily. Which That's amazing. Was interesting. So I'm, I'm lives, frantically um, getting. I'm frantically bringing up the League Two league table to see who needs goals. <laughs> I mean, he he lives near Northampton, so okay. anyone in kind of that area um, might be uh, might, might maybe give him a call. He said he'd need a couple of couple of months training to get fit again. <laughs> but once he's there, bang in twenty. So. Nice. Before we get stuck into the to the uh, weekend action, just a couple of things to touch on. Firstly, that this podcast is brought to you by the Skybet EFL Rewards app. George, this app is an absolute no-brainer for anyone who supports an EFL club. I'd go further than no-brainer. It's an absolute must-have, Ali. You know, now we're going into this phase of a second lockdown. We had the welcome news on um, Saturday evening that the EFL will continue with the approval of the DCMS and therefore we're going to be watching a lot of football. We're going to be watching our team a lot. So download the Skybet EFL Rewards app and through there you can play fun games such as the predictor game that we're going to get into in a second. You can check in, which means that when you're watching your side playing, you can check in and therefore have the chance to win a signed shirt, a chance to win uh, free iFollow passes. It's just you know an essential app to have alongside you as you're enjoying the EFL unfold. And with the opportunity to win prizes, to win these rewards for your fandom, um, I think we could all do with a reward at the moment. And uh, and those fans who perform the best in terms of of, of the predictor game or or, get, or strike it lucky uh, when they're checking in will get that so um yeah an absolute no-brainer download it now and thank you very much to them for sponsoring the show yes seven out of 12 for me this week on the league two predictor i was only two away from the those at the top of the leaderboard uh there were a couple of profits that got nine out of 12 so i'm still a couple away from from the very best the likes of martin ormer or jack perryman dylan garton Andrew Davis and Sean O'Reilly. All the likely names. They are the likely lads, those guys. Yeah, the big names, the big names. So I'm a way off. But the reason um, that you should be playing the predictor at the moment, not only that 
you're also in a chance to win rewards if you do well currently. But also, there's going to be big news in December. I can't give too much away at the moment, but playing the predictor and doing well on the predictor on the Skybet EFO rewards app is going to be uh, highly lucrative for those who do well. So, uh, this show brought to you by the Skybet EFL rewards app. Please do download and make the most of that this midweek. Check in to your team's game ahead of Tuesday or Wednesday night fixtures. George, as you mentioned there, the, the show will go on despite the national lockdown that begins in the middle of this week. Uh, League One and League Two football, which we thought might be paused, will continue, and, and championship football as well, of course. Mm. I, I'm sort of separating them consciously at the moment because when we talk about the EFL as a whole... Um, for better or for worse, I do feel like it's difficult to club them all together at the moment. But it's good news that football will continue. There are still much wider concerns about the, the financials surrounding these leagues at the moment, though. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the 2nd of November now, Monday the 2nd of, of November. So all staff and players at EFL clubs should have been paid. I keep kind of every time I get towards the end of the month, I keep my kind of anxiety spikes around the situation because... This is the time I'm expecting to suddenly hear that a, a League Two club has has failed to pay, pay its staff. And that is kind of the first um, Jenga block coming out mm. the bottom, which causes the whole thing to to collapse. That I've read some reports in, in various outlets saying that lots of clubs are having to borrow money um, locally or privately in order to do this, which is obviously not very good news, um, especially if that's being offset by this promise of funding, which is yet to materialise. Um, frustratingly, the, the kind of project big picture debate seems to have um, travelled in, in the direction purely of a European Super League, so at the Premier League level, or talking about the um, FA chairman's role in it, which seems like he was, Greg Clark was, was much more involved than he um, admitted, which is causing a lot of headlines and a lot of anger, which is relevant to, to you know, Championship League One and League Two, but isn't specifically dealing with the issues at hand. So, um, you know, as I kind of mentioned on Quest in about 12 seconds, um, you know, this is obviously the first reaction, um, as you found out firsthand when I texted you, was was very relieved and happy um, that League One and League Two is is um, continuing, especially because that quote from Rick Parry on um, Five Live about a month ago where he said, you know, if if we go into hibernation, we might never come out again. I mean, mm. that is just ringing in my ears every time there's any talk about League One and League Two pausing, and especially any time there's talk of League One and League Two pausing for its own sake. That just seems not to be the case. Um, of course, the extension of furlough into December would have made it slightly more palatable, but I still think it would have been a bit of a bit of a disaster. But it, just as long as there is a, a moral issue here, which is um, that you can't be seen, well, not that you can't be seen, you can't be overly delighted that sports leagues are continuing during a pandemic because there are quite clearly safety issues. So all of this is caveated by the clear hope that both um, you know, the players and staff and everybody remains um, in a safe environment and that you know, this doesn't lead to any um, kind of local issues in terms of spreading the pandemic. That's a given. But in terms of, of, of us enjoying our football and, you know, the, the quite clear benefits of people being able to, to watch their football teams play and enjoy their football teams playing. Um, and, you know, it's quite handy for mine and your 
uh, professional mm-hmm. life as well. We'd have been in a bit of trouble. I think we we might have needed a bailout if um, if League One and League Two had uh, gone. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 good news, but we need some. It's 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 pretty frustrating at the moment. The total lack of of news or even talk about where the money's going to come from and how the issue seems to have kind of disappeared from the public space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were told clubs would start going to the wall in in November. I think October might have been mentioned and we appear to have got through October. The one thing that I always cling on to when I'm thinking about this and, and like you said, my anxiousness about this is being spiked fairly frequently at the moment which is tricky and I'm sure it's the same for many but the one thing I keep clinging to is when we spoke to Matt Slater uh, a few weeks back and he said one of the things that's interesting is there are lots of big sound bites being taken from people within clubs saying I know of 10 clubs that will go to the wall by the end of the year and he said but you never hear from the clubs themselves, really. I know that the Scunthorpe owner has spoken about them being in some difficulty uh, going forward if, if nothing changes. But my hope is that there was a lot of desire for people to, to say strong words about other clubs, but not necessarily basing that on, on concrete truth and evidence. And that hopefully there are ways where individual clubs can keep going, can survive. But yeah, this is something we're going to be talking about a lot over the next few weeks, that's for sure. Uh, let's start talking about some football. There are a few sets of fans across the three leagues who are very happy with their teams at the moment. The way we're going to do this pod, because we had some midweek action as well, is for each division, we're going to start with the teams who took six points from their two games this week. There's so much football at the moment, and I think we're seeing how clubs are struggling for consistency. There's a lot of injuries around, a lot of rotation. So it's notable when a side wins two games in a week. And at this early stage of the season, it's very valuable in terms of moving up the table. Let's start in the championship, George, with Swansea City into second place. And after a very, very solid week indeed, a 2-0 win against Stoke City in midweek, a 2-0 win against Blackburn on the weekend. Uh, And this one, as Swans fan Ben said on a Sunday scouting report yesterday, noted that the absence of Matt Grimes... Uh, Swansea City talisman for the first time in 89 league games that was a concern heading in but so many players stepping up Fulton immense once again after a brilliant goal in midweek and uh, it's been a very very strong week for the Swans indeed yeah it has been and you know we talk often about um, teams not necessarily being able to play their own game and still getting a win and that was the case here because because Swansea of all the sides in the league we consider to be one of those who like to keep the ball but Blackburn are exactly the same and, and for large swathes of Saturday, Swansea had to deal with Blackburn having the ball and controlling possession. Maybe the absence of Grimes had something to do with that because he's quite clearly a player who who likes to keep it. Um, but Swansea were really good value for their for their win. Um, Cabango and are you getting the goals? Um, as the the scout report mentioned, uh, Fulton in in the centre of the park, really really strong indeed. Bidwell and Roberts uh, out wide providing threat or game. I feel a bit for, for Blackburn. I feel like they're consistently putting in decent performances now and not really getting anything for it. Um, they weren't terrible here. Adam Armstrong was uncharacteristically wasteful in front of goal, you have to say. Um, but that is going to happen when you've been as prolific and as clinical as he has been. Um, but yes, Swansea, I mean, we've, it's always felt like Swansea are, are a side here who have one of the strongest shouts to be a, a kind of, a, a, not one of the relegated teams, but one of the top teams in the league. And back-to-back home wins against two sides in Stoke and and Blackburn who've started the season so well 
and doing it with kind of minimal fuss, two clean sheets. Um, it's yeah, it's it's all looking very positive for Steve Cooper. You have to say they have got Brentford and Norwich away this week, so it's going mm. to be either very rosy indeed after that or they might be brought back down to earth somewhat these are, are two sides that are very tricky to play swans will be looking to avenge what happened in the playoffs last season uh, against brentford uh now on to birmingham city another side who have got six points this week not a side we've spoken about much on the monday pod because of our arbitrary filter system where we remove <laughs> draws from the conversation this was a side who Seemingly had nothing but draws heading in to last week, but two 2-1 two, wins against two strong opponents, Huddersfield and Preston, uh, defeated by Itor Karanka's Birmingham City side. And I need to make a, a public apology, I think, to Itor <laughs> Karanka because I tweeted <laughs> I tweeted last uh, early last week, Birmingham pitched up at QPR on the weekend playing a back five with Mikel San Jose, Ivan Sunic and Gary Gardner in front of the back five. Look, I didn't specifically say anything negative there, but I guess the inference that was hinted at and taken by some Birmingham fans was that I was slagging Karanka off for being a boring manager. And maybe in a way I was. I, I was a bit more explicit. <laughs> I, I wrote Itor with, with a nil-nil instead of the O for Itor. Right. Um, Very good. But I... I to be fair, to be fair, they hadn't scored a goal in open play up to that point. That was seven no, no, seven mean, games of football. Um, but it's been a, it's I, been I a marvelous week for them. Maybe Birmingham fans should thank you. Maybe Itor saw your your tweet and uh, and changed it. No, but I maybe mean, I, I, it's been pretty rare over the last kind of four or so years in this podcast we've given Birmingham much praise. But I think in, in this instance, um, both the managerial decisions and the performances deserve high praise mm. because you know midweek um they you know it was a very very big win they paid four at the back it was it wasn't necessarily i mean it, it wasn't a, a more attacking lineup to the one that you were referencing a second ago but it wasn't um you know it, it was pretty much down kind of the similar line huddersfield aside who <clears throat> whose form um has been very good it was very good again on the weekend which we'll get on to and they and they did very well to beat them playing kind of a four five one but on now, on the back of a good home win, um, Karanka massively shook it up going to Preston. Mm. Uh, he played three at the back. He moved San Jose back from playing a kind of a centre midfield role into the middle of a back three. Classy with operator. Sun exactly. With, with, with Sunic um, screening and McGree and Sanchez as the midfield two. Mm. McGree with his first start for the club, scoring a goal with his first kick of the ball in a Birmingham <laughs> shirt. Um, Aleko and Jukovic front two that worked really nicely. A substitute coming on in Gardner, who scored the goal, you know, making the pretty big decision to to drop Bella to the bench or to rest Bella, who's been their main attacking threat so far this season. I mean, these are big decisions made by Karanka here, and this isn't a defensive lineup going up against a side in Alex in Alex Neal, mm. who would be so easy to play a low block. It would be so easy to sit back and say, right, okay, we're going to invite you onto us, and then we're going to break and try and, and try and uh, beat your high line. So, I mean, in, in terms of of just kind of result and performance of the of the weekend in the championship i think we have to give it to karanka and birmingham mm. I mean, even in isolation a 2-1 win at preston is well i mean it used to be a difficult result preston's home form at the moment not what it used to be um but it's just it's more the process the process you know to to take a winning side um to rotate the way he has done to chop and change to move you know a, someone you know the, the the very influential san jose kind of not out of position but move his position um, week to week 
to such a, an extent. Lots of Birmingham fans saying he was clearly their man of the match. Um, yeah, all, all credit to Karanka and to Birmingham. We've never, ever shamed any manager for having an excellent defensive record. And we're pretty confident that that would be the case for Birmingham under Karanka. Six goals conceded in seven, uh, in nine games, sorry, suggests that all is very well on that front. And there's nothing wrong with building uh, from the back, building a strong foundation. And, and we look forward to seeing more of these two goal games rather than these zero goal games that preceded them. The, the other thing I would say is, you're right, maybe we haven't spoken glowingly about Birmingham on this podcast. I would say... That's for objective rather than subjective reasons. Since we start, yeah, since we started this pod, they finished nineteenth, nineteenth, seventeenth, and twentieth. I mean, that is yeah. consistently below average. Difficult to get excited about. Maybe things will change now. Um, I'm excited about Riley McGree. Excited to see more of him, and I love the quirk that he is on loan from a club that's never played a, a football match before. Uh, or certainly not a, a sort of competitive one. Let's move on. Another team with the full complement of points after two games this week. Barnsley and Val Ishmael seems to be having a lovely time managing at this level, George. Uh, 3-0 winners against QPR in midweek. 1-0 winners against Watford. Uh, they hadn't won this season prior to this. Uh, and Ishmael has taken a look at Gerhard Struber's system. And he's gone, yep, yeah, I quite like a bit of that. Let's keep, let's keep going. <laughs> And that's why you hire managers who who play a certain style. That way, you don't have to change every time you change a manager. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Valerian Ishmael is probably quite an intelligent bloke, and I think he probably understands that he's on the receiving end of some nice, uh, some nice variants, some Valerian variants here, because <laughs> Valerians, <laughs> Valerians, because Barnsley were, weren't playing too poorly under Struber, despite not getting the results, and um, you know. The wins were going to come here. They've won thanks to a remarkable Alex Mowat long shot, which, you know, all Alex Mowat goals are seemingly pretty remarkable. Um, and they, you know, they, despite being ahead after the six minute, Watford barely created anything. I'm getting really worried about, about Watford. Okay. Um, they are just very dour. Mm. There is, there, there doesn't seem to be much of a kind of managerial style or process to what they do at all. You know, they were at the beginning of the season, they looked so solid. They looked like a side who was set up by a guy who knew how to, you know, get a defensive unit and then a reliance on certain ball carriers to, um, you know, to provide the attacking talent. But they, they seem to have lost both. They now concede chances fairly liberally to sides who, you wouldn't expect them to. We saw the Wickham game in midweek, and then again here against Barnsley. They, you know, it wasn't a game of many chances, but at the same, they went behind early, and, and Barnsley had a couple later on, and they created very little indeed. Um, it, it it feels to me like they are on a, a very quick regression um, mm. as this, as the season's going on. Which I would is, say which is I would say some of the things I've seen from what for fans are on social media is that they are certainly putting a lot on the return of certain players who are back fit and seemingly ready to to come into the side, namely Will Hughes, uh, Andre Gray, I suppose, as well. Um, that There's a suggestion that Ivic has said that he will change system once everyone's back and, and once he's sort of everything's settled down a bit and that he will go back to... A four-two-three-one, which is where, which is what he's played previously and had success with. So it might be that we see a, um, a mm. shedding of the skin of this early season Watford uh, at a time where I agree with you. You know, it might be worth doing that because 
you know, as you say, the, the, the last week has been very poor for them, evidently. And what we'd like to see is them start creating more chances uh, and conceding fewer, I suppose. They haven't kept a clean sheet since, since the Derby game uh, on Sky on the 16th mm. of, of, of October. Um, both Hughes and Gray did come off the bench on um, Saturday. So a couple of home games this week against Stoke and Coventry. Uh, maybe we'll see that. Um, it's just, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm holding them to a very high standard. I have to say, I mean, anybody listening to this podcast, not knowing where they are, would probably expect them to be right yeah, down yeah. the bottom end of the table. Yeah. And they're not, they're sixth. They've won four games of their nine. Um, it's just because, you know, they coming into the, the, the season and looking at their squad, there was every reason to think that they would be possibly the best team. Mm. And um, Ivic coming with a certain managerial team um, caliber, I would say, from the continent with his with his track record, mm. irrespective of what league that was in, um, but it hasn't really shown so far for me. I, I don't think he's necessarily getting the best out of his side. I mean, eight goals in nine games with that with those attacking players, mm. and often you know the goals themselves have been very much thanks to an individual yeah. doing something great. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we do naturally hold relegated Premier League sides to higher standards and I think that's understandable in and of itself they come down with well with very strong squads with players that are recognisable at a high level and and they also come down with a lot more money than everyone else a lot more money to spend than everyone else so I you know we, we do hold them to high standards and that's for pretty obvious reasons uh, great performance from Moa as you mentioned he seems to have been slightly unlocked by the presence of, of Matty James uh, in midfield alongside him, who's much more happy to sit and cover uh, while Moet bursts forward. And look, he takes a lot of long shots. Quite often they fly into the top corner. Quite often they uh, they don't. But uh, it's, a, it's a big threat for, for Barnsley. And Callum Styles is continuing to put in some lovely performances, which I'm very pleased to see because he's a, a fantastic young player and he, he seems very versatile as well. He's playing left wing back here. He can play in a number of positions and roles on the pitch. And he's a, a very exciting young player for Barnsley. I'm also pretty excited about Middlesbrough. Uh, to be honest, George, six points from their two games this week. That was a 2-0 win against Coventry and a 1-0 win against Nottingham Forest. Uh, they lost 1-0 to Watford on opening day on the first Friday of the campaign. In fact, it feels like a long time ago already. They haven't lost since then. Four wins and four draws in their last eight games. They've played three of the top six, a top six, a top six that they are part of as well. Um, they haven't conceded more than one goal in a game yet, and I mean the manager George. I think he's called. <laughs> I think he's called Neil Warnock. What's his deal? Because I mean, early Who evidence. Early evidences. Seems like he might be quite good at managing football teams at this level, quite specifically. Yes, I feel like my pre-season ramblings out. You know, let's not just assume that Neil Warnock, whenever he takes over a side, suddenly can turn him into a promotion chasing team. You're not the first, and you I won't mean, be the last. <laughs> Um, it, it's it's absolutely remarkable what they're doing and what he's doing. Um, massive fair play to him. Um, I think early on in the season, after that Watford game, after he said that he felt like his team were playing similar football to Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds, it felt easy to kind of laugh at um, you know Grandpa Warnock and be like, yeah, good one. Um, but very quickly, they are really asserting themselves on this division because both... The one 0 win against Forest and the the midweek win against Coventry were were well deserved games where they were clearly the dominant side in the game, both creating plenty of chances, keeping opposition very very quiet indeed, um, 
so many players in their side seem to be in, in the kind of form we haven't seen them in before, whether that's George Saville, this new creative <laughs> goal-scoring George Saville, who used to only really be good for a yellow card, whether it's Dyke Steele at right-back, who had a tricky first season uh, at Middlesbrough last in the last campaign, who's really coming into... Um, I, I know that he is a player that Middlesbrough fans think has come on massively under Warnock and a, a bit of evidence of his ability to, to coach through the youth uh, Marvin Johnson coming off the bench to score a goal, another player who hasn't necessarily always had the best time uh, at Borough. It's it's really impressive. Mm. It, it feels like he's he's galvanised a club that was that was down on its haunches, and um, you know it, it's not so quiet anymore. It felt like before this week they were the side who were kind of ticking along without much fanfare. It's going to be a really interesting game for them tomorrow, and, and actually both their games this week away at, at Blackburn, away at Brentford. Mm kind of I'm not gonna you know it, I was, I was gonna say it's a clash of styles it's not necessarily I mean this borough side are a Warnock side they are um you know that they're not gonna be playing particularly ball retention um pass and move style <laughs> for, for want of a more technical terminology there but they they're not like a long ball merchant team they're not an attritional side at all so they're going to provide a pretty stern test for both Blackburn and Brentford I think we can expect to dominate possession but I would be very very sure that the Borough are going to create their fair fair share of chances and that the home sides are going to probably struggle to create as much as they normally would Um, you know it's the moment they are unbeaten since opening day as you said in a game where they were pretty unfortunate to lose Um, if they can get through this week with that record still intact then at a time when we're maybe scrambling around a little bit to look at who the class teams in, in the division are, the, the, the answer might have been the obvious one all along. Right, OK. Yeah, well, a big week for them. Uh, it was great to see Nathan Wood get his first start and a, a, mm. a, a clean sheet for him. The centre-back, 18 years old, uh, Nathan Wood. He's played for England youth teams throughout. Really, really highly rated and uh, yeah, very, very excited to see a little bit more of him. It's very rare to see any 18-year-old starting as a centre-back in senior football. So I'm sure Warnock will bed him in slowly but surely. But, you know, what a, what a great asset he could be for the club and what an exciting young player we could have on our hands. Um, OK, other results on Saturday that stood out. Bristol City 1, Norwich 3, George. This was the lunchtime kickoff. And, uh, well, by half-time, it, it felt like it was kind of all over, most of the action in that first period, including a lovely goal from a lovely player whose name translates to Good Day <laughs> and who drinks sangria. I watched I watched this game because um, it was the early game on Sky and it was, yeah, it was an unbelievable game, you have to say, because, I, you know, whether it was um, two sides who were attacking pretty well or whether it's two defences who can't defend um, I think each set of fan will tell you that it was their side's defence that was poor rather than the other team's attack who was good um, I mean you, you say that it was all over at half time I, I don't think that's really true because it was so end to end that you didn't it, it was kind of remarkable this game finished 3-1 not in, in any small part due to the fact that Naki Wells decided to penenka a penalty at 3-1 well, I, do, I do feel sorry for, for, for Wales a little bit here before I, because I do want to talk about Norwich, but I feel like there's, there's just massive hypocrisy with Penenkas in the whole world of football <laughs> where anytime anybody does one and the majority of the time, like the, the vast majority of the time that people do Penenkas, players do Penenkas, they score. 
and that's the reason why they do them. Okay, so it's it's a it's a means of taking a penalty, which um, has proven to be fairly successful. And whenever someone does score, there is a general kind of look around each other, and you say to you, you're like, "Fair play, that is." You know, he's had the balls to do it, and he's done it, and he's pulled it off. It's only when players get it wrong where everyone's like, "Why has he done that?" Extremes at both ends of the spectrum, where where that's not the case with one where you just sort of try and put it in the corner, where if you score, it's like, "Okay, yeah, fair enough," and if you yeah. miss, you're like, "Oh, okay, it was pretty close." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a similar thing, but it's just like the. You know, nobody, it's very rare. I'm sure they'll have loads of people listening to this who be like, I always think that. But like, it's pretty rare that someone scores a Penenka and you see fans being like, what's he doing? What's he doing? Like, why is he doing that? You're like, yeah, okay, brilliant. He pulled it off. Good call. So I feel a little bit sorry for Wells. Um, Dean Holden clearly disagreed because he substituted him straight away. Um, but, you know, I guess if you're going to decide to do a Penenka, you have to understand that there is a probably like every penalty like a 20 percent chance that you're going to end up looking very silly more so than if you just smacked it at the keeper's hand um but on, on you know on to norwich you know i tweeted at the time saying this felt like watching the norwich from from 18 19 where they won the league and, and it really did uh in part because the protagonists were were familiar faces um steeperman is a player that i've never been as enamored with as some norwich fans and some efl fans but he was superb on, on Saturday he, he was really the driving force in midfield the creative force somebody who was looking dangerous every time he got on the ball Buendia um, was maybe a bit quieter than at some point I mean again holding him to incredibly high standards he was still very very lively but the control for, for the goal for Norwich's third goal and um, bringing down a, a lovely ball from um, from Gibson was um, was yeah. I, I let out quite a loud groan in the uh, in Ooh. the Quest offices, um, and then Timo Puki doing what he does. The second goal was a was a deflection, but the, the first was a lovely finish. And yeah, I mean, with those guys clicking, um, with Skip and Rupp proving to be um, pretty tidy uh, as, as a kind of a sitting two. Um, I mean, the the defensive shape from Bristol City's back three, which had been. You know, one of the most impressive things about them early on in the season was was lacking. Um, the the gaps between the, the defenders um, was pretty alarming, and I don't know if that's necessarily maybe in terms of personnel, Callas coming in. Um, you know, who's probably the best defender they've got, but it's just it's just a, a change of the personnel that was in the back three at the beginning of the right at the beginning of the season when it was Mawson. I, I don't know. Um, Callum Dowder has been earmarked clearly by. Dean Holden as being um, the kind of replacement for Andy Vyman, being the latest player who isn't a centre midfielder to to adopt that that role, and he and he was lively, he was good, um, and you know pulling out onto the right hand side along with Jack Hunt, who scored the goal, and then moving back onto his left, he looked a threat. Patterson was dangerous again. Brunt played well, um, playing in that Backinson role um, is the defensive minded of the three. I mean that yeah, I mean Bristol City fans were generally seemingly pretty. Um, despondent as he would be after a 3-1 home defeat but I thought there was a, a lot to be positive about again here and, and if it had been 3-2 if Wells had scored the one to get them back in it they, they were banging the game to get a point but if if Norwich are going to be oozing that much attacking quality going forwards then I think their games are going to be quite fun Okay, let's rattle through the rest of the championship. We're, we're up against it time-wise already here. So many good things to talk about, as always, from across the EFL. Huddersfield 3-0 winners at Millwall can be summed up by two Sunday scouting reports we got. 
Firstly, from Greg, Huddersfield fan. Best yet from town. Midfield clicked with and without the ball. Solid at the back. Numbers in attack. Saar, Hogg stood out. But as always, a rounded team effort to make it work. O'Brien's ability to dribble adds an extra dimension. O'Brien certainly stood out watching the highlights back in this game, as he has done a few times in the last few weeks. And then Ben... Millwall fan, worst performance of the season by far <laughs> from the Lions. Huddersfield were better prepared, more organised and up for the fight. Millwall looked poor, tired, unusually lacking in defence and woeful up front. I think, you know, at the moment there are going to be a lot of teams that put in tired performances and um, that that's just going to be the reality of this season in general. Uh, QPR beat Cardiff 3-2, George. This was an insane winning goal. What an unbelievable strike from Don Ball from 30 yards with his weaker foot. I'm pretty sure Warburton said after the game, he pretty much brought Ball on to, to help see it out for a point. And he <laughs> went and scored an absolute worldie. Yeah, it was one of those weird ones where I saw the ball go in. And I was like, who is that? And I rattled through about five names before I got to Ball. because I just <laughs> assumed it, it wasn't him. Um, yeah, I mean, what a hit. I think we just have to talk about the about the strike because it was um, it was a, yeah, a a worthy goal um, for a player who wouldn't necessarily expect to do it. It was an important goal for QPR as well to to squander a, a two goal lead in the way that they did mm. by conceding two penalties. Um, Joe Rolls scoring the first penalty, missing the second, but scoring the rebound, which probably hurts um, even more. Um, you know, not a very good time at the moment for Johan Barbe, who gave away um, one of the pens after his his hilarious own goal midweek. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it's a it's a big win for QPR, um, it's a big goal for Ball. It's another frustrating one for for Cardiff and, and Neil Harris, who haven't started the season off as they would have hoped. Um, but again, in the performance, there was plenty to like for Cardiff. Um, they they were again creating. Lots of chances. They probably did enough to, to to win the game, possibly, and just came undone or unstuck by an absolute wonder strike. Wickham beat Sheffield Wednesday 1-0. Their first win ever at second tier level. From a Wednesday perspective, this means a week in which they lost to Rotherham and to Wickham in the space of four days. Games that were important games for them uh, against supposed relegation rivals. Uh, you saw this Wickham game coming. How, how did it play out? I mean, Chairboy Central Wickham fan said we didn't actually reach the same levels as we had against Watford in midweek, but pretty comfortable as one nil as one nils go. I'm more than happy to defend and, and looked in control doing so. Does that stack up with what you, with what you saw? Yeah, exactly. Exactly what I saw. I, I think part of the reason maybe why they weren't quite as, um, you know, didn't create as many chances as against Wickham was because they were 1-0 up for the whole second half, chasing a very, very important win. And I, I don't think there was much attacking uh, intent. Um, maybe if Gareth Ainsworth had been on the sideline, that would have changed. But of course, he was in hospital uh, with a bad back. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it was... It was interesting, this one in the second half, because Sheffield Wednesday were all over Wickham in a way in which they didn't create many chances, if that makes sense. They had all the ball. They were territorially always in kind of Wickham's half. But their means of trying to create chances was basically consistently swinging balls into the box, which I think... were very very happy just to deal with and to head away 
um, you know, I was watching this, having tipped them on the, having tipped Wickham on the betting show, having bat Wickham myself. It should have been quite a nervous watch, but it wasn't really. It didn't really feel like Sheffield Wednesday were going to score, and mm. um, and yeah, so it was, it was, a, 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 you know, it's, it's been coming for Wickham. Akinfenwa again in the first half just was causing so many issues. Um, he's completely lost his shooting boots again. He kind of that classic Akinfenwa goal where there's like a, a ball paid up to him and he's got two defenders on either side and he somehow manages to kind of like control it and spin at the same time and neither defender can get near him and then he just kind of rolled the shot about three yards wide from um, from 12 yards um, he seems to have, have lost that scoring knack but yeah I mean he's causing these defenders <laughs> all kinds of mm. issues uh, now he's back fit Sheffield Wednesday are going to need to improve this week at home to Bournemouth and then at home to Millwall. They're still on minus four points, uh, 10 points from safety now. And yeah, with that situation, what you don't want to see is everything unravel. Because if, if, if safety gets further away, then it's easy to see how that could happen psychologically. Gary Monk's obviously been put under a lot of pressure already um, and they will need to improve this week. I mean, you talked about how they're, style of play is basically just try and score from a header I don't think there are that many teams in the last few years that I can remember having much success with the primary attacking plan of swinging balls into the box and hoping that Patterson heads them in um, not specific to Patterson by the way because to be fair the Cardiff side that he played with that won promotion did do pretty well with Patterson as their top scorer um, with only about seven goals overall um, okay um, Luton nil, Brentford three George I regret to inform you that Brentford's XG numbers are very very good again um, that they seem to be well I, I'm wary of saying they seem to be clicking because um, the games are coming thick and fast and there have been occasions where they've not performed well this time last week we spoke fairly negatively about their performance up at Stoke uh, they drew one all with Norwich in midweek a, a game that they were the better side and were, were, were unfortunate to concede a heavily deflected late equaliser uh, and they they put things right here with a 3-0 win uh, against Luton all the hallmarks of a good Brentford performance um, and Burmo was, was very bright his pace caused problems Tony scored a, a, a tap in from one yard Rico Henry scored a nice goal from outside the box and force came off the bench to score as well. So uh, more of the same for, for, for Brentford in victory uh, that we've said already previously this season. And um, one of the most notable results of the week came on Friday night. George Redding, the early leaders of this division, uh, suffered their first defeat against Coventry. 3-2 this game. It was, a, it was a pretty entertaining game because neither side really ever had a foothold in the game, or not consistently anyway. Um, Reading still four points clear at the top of the table, despite the defeat. And you weren't too down on on uh, on this for from a Reading perspective. No, I thought I thought Reading um, created more in this game than they have done in, in quite a fair few of their wins so far this season. They were on the receiving end of of kind of a bit a bit of their own medicine, you have to say. Um, you know, the, the Sam McCallum goal. Was a long range, a long range strike that won it. That um, Rafael Cabral had to do better with, but Cabral has been incredible in goal for Reading over the last um, season and, and two months. So there was always going to come a time where he was going to throw in a bit of a rick, and Mate, that it's was the it. curse of being a championship goalkeeper. Like as soon as you have, let's say, ten solid games in a row and as soon as people, normally your own fan base, but sometimes people like us, as soon as people start saying like. This is an excellent goalkeeper at the level who's showing yeah. consistent shot-stopping ability. That's when you know you're going to chuck one in shortly. That's there, just the there curse a, of the championship um, goalkeeper. There was a funny moment in the coverage where 
I think Daniel Mann was like, let's see. I mean, it must have been swerving. And they did a camera angle from directly behind McCallum's boot. And the ball was literally just arrow straight <laughs> at, at Cabral, who then just kind of punched it and came off the top of his hands mm. and went into the back of the net. Um, but, you know, a really, really good and big result for Coventry this one, you have to say, because their form was sliding pretty alarmingly. So to go and beat the, the, the table toppers um, in this manner um, is, is a big result for them. It's, um, you know, good for Gustavo Harmer to... To get on the score sheet, he's scored a lovely kind of first-time rolled finish from the edge of the area. Um, a player full of quality, also full of um, something else as well, because he's a he's a Larry one. Uh, Mark Robbins having to take him off before he got himself sent off on on Friday night, which could be a bit of an issue. Already been sent off once. Maybe he just loves being sent off on TV. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I said with Reading, I mean, I thought um, I thought Michael Elise looked looked very dangerous and whenever he was on the ball I thought Semedo was a good driving force from midfield I thought Josh Laurent played very well um, I didn't I was a bit disappointed with the fullbacks um, you know, Omar Richards has had such a good start to the season and we've heard a lot about this Thiago Estevez who's on loan from Benfica um, neither really did much on the night um, Lucas Zhao could have scored plenty but I think we can say that basically whenever Lucas Zhao plays football mm. Um, and he did take his one goal very nicely indeed. Um, it was a great game. I really enjoyed it. Um, sometimes these kind of high-scoring fixtures can be kind of, I don't know, um, you come away just thinking, like, what really have we seen? But this felt like two sides who gave it a good go. Um, and yeah, for Reading, I mean, the, the, se- the season start has been so good and so positive. You know, a couple of results like this don't change that. Absolutely. We, we talked last week that Mark Robbins might need to think about switching up the system because Coventry really struggling to, to penetrate at all, struggling to get any shots off in the last few games. And he did so. Uh, Biamu started in this game, target man type striker, of course, alongside Godden, 3-5-2 rather than the, the patented box midfield that we saw in promotion from League One and early on this campaign. And it, and it seemed to work. It seemed to, you know, they didn't lose anything particularly defensively or in terms of midfield control, which they've struggled for anyway. But they gained much more presence up top. You know, they do go wide quite a lot and deliver uh, good good deliveries generally from Giles and, and sometimes from Darbo as well. And uh, yeah, Biamu's touch was off, to be honest. And he didn't look particularly sharp when he was in and around the box. But his very presence, I think, raised the, the performance of the team. So I dare say he might get a run in the side now and, and hopefully he can settle down and, and become more of a goal threat himself. Uh, lastly, Stoke won Rotherham nil. Liam, uh, Stoke fan, sent in a Sunday scouting report here saying, Rotherham offered nothing. Stoke offered little to nothing. Don't talk, <laughs> don't talk about this game on the pod. One to forget for sure. Right, you are, Liam. Let's move on to League One, George. We have to start with the form team in the whole of the EFL, Charlton Athletic. They beat Portsmouth 2-0 on the weekend to make it five wins in a row. Another clean sheet for them makes it six clean sheets in a row. I think it's time to to check in with Charlton and Charlton fans, George, probably, as we record on Monday the 2nd of November, the happiest fan base in the EFL, I would say, at the moment. Yeah, they, they have to be. Um, <laughs> it couldn't really have gone any better since Thomas Sangard took over the club, um, the run of results, the, the manner of the performances and just the way that they're keeping these clean sheets. Uh, I mean, I, I alluded to it on Quest on Friday night, but this, you know, the, these aren't flukes. This isn't a side who are kind of um, testing their luck and coming out on top. 
they went to, to Fratton on um, on Saturday against a side in Portsmouth who had scored four midweek against Northampton, who'd gone up to the Stadium of Light and scored three the weekend before. You know, a side who were um, free scoring and playing with a lot of attacking quality. And they just kind of restricted them to, to, to precious little, really. I mean, Charlton themselves didn't create a host of chances. I'm not here saying that Charlton were, were, were kind of by far and away the dominant attacking side, but Pompey were having to take pot shots from deep fairly consistently. They didn't really create many good openings for themselves. And um, and the combination that Charlton have at the moment of being able to find a kind of a defensive shape that keeps oppositions fairly clear away from their dangerous areas, whilst also finding a way mm. to score consistently. You know, they are... The, the reason that they've kept five clean sheets in a row and won five games is because they're scoring in each of them. Then, then there was the nil-nil draw before that. It's um, it's, it's it's massively impressive. And they've got two home games to come this week as well. Um, th- this run, it is worth pointing out, is going to end. They're not going to carry on keeping clean sheets like this um, for a long time. But it feels like they've got a really nice blend of, of um, defensive and attacking output whilst mm. also bringing these new players who only recently joined the club into the fold. It's, uh, yeah, exciting times. And there's extra context to be added that makes it even more impressive from a footballing perspective, which is an insane injury list at the moment. Mm. Uh, the adaptability of Lee Boyer uh, and his side is so impressive. And, you know, for example, Doughty has been ruled out for a while, which is a great shame. Such an exciting wide player who contributed to a brilliant goal uh, last weekend, didn't he? And when I saw that, Mm. I did wonder if we'd see the return to the diamond, which they played so well in promotion two years ago, because I wondered whether it was Doughty's talent and his position as as an attacking wide man that made playing the diamond slightly awkward. Um, And sure enough, they switched back to the diamond. The reason, you know, I'm not some mad soothsayer here. They've got so many good (laughs) central midfield players, not just at the base of midfield where they can choose from Prattley, who was brilliant in this game, played a key role, but they've also got Ben Watson on the books and you have to think those two will will sort of rotate that that deepest midfield position. But in front of Prattley in this game, Forster Kasky, Shinny, and Johnny Williams, I mean, you, you're, you're always going to be confident of creating chances when you've got players who are so creative as individuals. And if they can click as part of a diamond, that could be very exciting. They've got the attacking threat from fullback, which you kind of need, I think, to, to be a top team playing a diamond. And, and Matson looks like he will provide that. He's got great energy on loan from Chelsea. The, the left back and yeah it's that adapted adaptability which I think is impressive we had Chris Gunter playing centre back here alongside Famewo that's an experienced right back and a very inexperienced centre back uh, and another clean sheet so uh, I think credit has to go to Steve Gallen as well the head of recruitment uh, who did you know such good work putting together or at least putting together a, a list of new signings um, you know in the short space of time that they were allowed to bring players in uh, and look on social media fans pretty excited about things as you can imagine uh, here's a few snippets the last time I felt like this was when Curbs got us into the Prem uh, Boya <laughs> Gallon and Jacko working their magic again absolute Boya masterclass those two second half subs killed off the game completely 
Uh, we're legit going to win the league with seven fit players was one I enjoyed. And I love that. And what is this team? How the hell are we doing this? Get in. Absolutely no one could have expected or even hoped for this kind of start just a month ago. So all is very well there. Charlton fans, happy as Larry. Um, we've checked in with them here. A reminder that if you're an EFL fan, you should be checking in using the Skybet EFL Rewards app ahead of every game that you watch. It puts you in with a chance to play the spinner. And if you win the spinner, uh, then you can win, well, signed match shirts, um, match passes from iFollow, which are worth a tenner. Uh, it's worth spinning the wheel, uh, certainly this midweek and ahead of the weekend as well. And make sure you play the predictor as well. That's where you have to predict the 12 results uh, in the league in which your team plays again those who do well in the predictor are liable to win rewards and that's what it's all about on the skybet efl rewards app we had two other teams in league one george who had a six point week ipswich and fleetwood town for ipswich this was important because the last time we spoke about them they'd had a very bad week in which they'd lost to doncaster and lincoln and we said it was when they started losing games last season after an unbeaten start that things spiraled somewhat uh, no spiral this week, at least. Uh, a good week for Ipswich. Two fairly narrow wins, but important to to just sort of get back on the horse, I guess, and uh, yeah, to avoid that sort of spiral and that bad feeling that, uh, that that can creep in pretty easily. Yes, yeah. I mean, this was not convincing on Saturday at all against Crew. Um, some people will say, you know, it's a sign of a good team winning when you're playing badly. Um, um, I don't know if I necessarily um, buy into that. I think maybe there are red flags when you're winning and, and not playing too well. But um, they, they had to rely on, on a few magnificent saves, one in particular from Thomas Holy, um, especially in the first half, to to keep them in the game because Crew were the side who looked more likely. Massive for Oddie Hawkins to get his first league goal because... Um, you know, he, whilst he is a striker, and you know, you need to see these guys as a goal threat. I think there's no uh, coincidence here that certain players um, who haven't necessarily been prolific for, for Ipswich, Green Edwards, Teddy Bishop, um, John Nolan, have been in, in the goals this season, playing around a guy who uh, is able to be a focal point up top, up top, who wins headers, who's able to hold the ball up. He's a very intelligent footballer as well. So really happy for him to to get off the mark in an Ipswich shirt. <clears throat> And crew just seem to be consistently fairly unlucky, I feel. Like they, they are still playing very well. They've gone to a difficult place here and put in a, a really solid performance, a performance good enough to at least get, get a point and have come away empty-handed again. Um, but I guess that is the difference between League One and League Two is that um, you know, you, you've got to take your chances and, and you are going to be punished. if you. doesn't matter how many chances you create. It doesn't matter how much you think your performance deserves something. Um, if you if you don't put the ball away, if you come up against a keeper in the kind of form that Hurley was in, then there's always a chance you're going to get sucker punched. And that's what happened. Fleetwood Town, three wins to nil in their last three games. This week, they beat Shrewsbury 1-0. They beat Oxford United 2-0 on the weekend. And look, they went ahead fairly early, didn't they? A, a long range... 40 seconds. A long range strike from Callum Camps, who has been a very impressive pickup this summer. Filled a, a gap that was sort of, you know, it was an obvious one to fill. Goals from midfield, a threat from midfield so that you weren't just relying on Madden and Evans and that's exactly what Camps has done. An absolute screamer, which is a bit of a trademark of his. Uh, and Madden doing what Madden does, poaching one 
uh, in the second half as well. Uh, you know, I don't think it's one necessarily to get carried away with this. Um, this Fleetwood win because, uh, well, I suppose it's impressive that they that they were able to hold on. Um, but Oxford did have some chances, as they tend to, uh, and uh, and missed a penalty as yeah. well. I, I didn't really feel watching it like we were ever. I mean, except for the penalty, obviously. Um, it didn't really feel like Oxford were gonna were gonna were kind of ever in the massive ascendancy in the game. Um, you know, Fleetwood didn't create a great deal after going one 0 up, but you know when you go ahead after forty seconds and you're holding on to a lead for eighty nine minutes, that's often the way. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's a difficult one to really analyse here, um, but Fleetwood certainly their form is is trending very much in the right direction, whereas Oxford's twenty fourth of twenty four at the moment. Not so much. <laughs> They've got Charlton away and then Bristol Rovers away next up Fleetwood. So some big tests, I think it's fair to say. that Actually, that Charlton-Fleetwood game in midweek is is probably the standout fixture in League One. Other notables from Saturday include a, a Peterborough 5-1 win against Shrewsbury, where I think the, the scoreline does not necessarily reflect how that game panned out, although it does highlight just how much Shrewsbury collapsed after a red card. We had two... Posh fans sending in Sunday scouting reports, both of them acknowledging that up until the red card, it was an even game. And, and you know, if if you'd said at that stage that Posh would run out five-one winners, you'd have you'd have had to say that something big would have to happen, such as a red card. Uh, Shrewsbury dangerous from set pieces, um, said Neil before the red, but down to ten men were desperately poor. Posh running riot. Uh, it was an exciting. Day for Siriki Dembele, notching uh, a career hat-trick for the first time in the league. Uh, and a couple of them were, well, they were just Siriki all over, weren't they? Just lovely, <laughs> lovely bits of play from a player that we're very fond of. Yeah, three very different goals, which is good to see. For, for a player who maybe the only criticism you can level at him is that he doesn't score enough. Um, to get the three goals that he did, he kind of won dribbling off the left onto, you know, cutting inside and, and finishing the second, you know, a scrappy poacher's goal and the third kind of taking on a ball over the top, rounding the keeper and, and slotting it. Um, all three kind of strikers goals, even Darren Bent was there being like, yeah, I mean, they all, they're kind of felt like good goals that he would score, which is, which is saying a lot. So um, I don't think Ricky Dembele had ever scored two goals in a game before um, Saturday. So for him to notch a hat trick here, um, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see who their who their main goal scorer is because, I mean, he's now on five. Johnson Clark Harris is on six. Um, they have obvious goal threats elsewhere in the side as well. They're I just... think I know the answer, George. Johnson Johnson Clark Harris. What about from open play? <laughs> yeah, still, I still think Johnson Clark Harris over the course of the campaign. But it is an interesting. I, uh, I might have a bet with you there. I think. Okay. What open play goals possibly? Open play goals, Siriki versus Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. We'll take cool. that. We'll take we'll, that. We'll, we'll chat after. Yeah. We'll take that off air. Um, Swindon beat Hull two one from behind. Seeing a side of Swindon this season, at least George, that we hadn't seen, they'll be very welcome for a set of fans that probably were starting to get a little concerned about recent form. Uh, this was a, a a big win against a Hull side that had started the season very strongly indeed. Yeah, when you've lost five games in a row and you're one 0 down at home to Hull, and your manager's not, you know, none of your coaching staff are, are in the dugout, then things are looking fairly desperate, aren't they? Um, so this turnaround and this deserved turnaround as well, you have to say, because this wasn't a kind of smash and grab. This was 
a side who were, were looking pretty poor for the first half hour. And then Paul Caddis wallops one in off the underside of the bar from an acute angle. Doesn't score too many goals from open play. Um, and after that, they were they were the better team, even when they went 2-1 up through Joel Grant. Um, Hull may have had kind of more of the ball, I guess, and, and took you know a fair few chances or took a fair few shots um, from distance. It was Swindon who often on the counter-attack looked like they were kind of the more dangerous side as the game wore on as well. So um, a really big win for them because it started to look as if they were just a, a total shadow of the side that we saw coming up last season. Um, and, you know, they're going to need results like this to, to prove otherwise. But frustrating for Hull to, to squander a lead uh, in this way. Um, but having spoken to Graham McCann in the week, you and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll be being philosophical about it and, and they've still made a great start. It's an interesting... Well, it's a it's a muddled league table at the moment in League One again after last season's uh, shenanigans really with with teams having played different number of games as we went uh, we've we've already got that early on in League One this season down to for COVID reasons uh, Accrington's still in the top half even though they've only played seven games most teams have played ten that's quite fun uh, but you've also got Swindon and Oxford obviously you've only played eight a lot of teams on nine uh, and most teams on ten so it's kind of difficult. You know, this is a classic example of not just looking at the position of teams right now, but mm. probably on points and points per game is is uh, is a is a little more helpful. But it's still very early. I should say that this week is is FA Cup week. I think next week we'll probably take more of a of a zoomed outlook. Maybe at all three divisions, we'll be what around a quarter of the way through the season. So maybe we'll focus less on individual games and on FA Cup games, and maybe have a bit more of an overview uh, next week. Sort of uh, as the dust settles somewhat, we'll see where we are. Doncaster beat Lincoln. Uh, in League One this was one of the sort of low-key bigger games uh, given both sides having had a pretty good start Lincoln more so and we spoke about it on Totally Football League show Extra Time I made the point that, that, that the real strength of these two sides had actually been defensively this season even though for Donny we'd focused about goals from midfield with Magic Gomez um, and for Lincoln we'd focused a lot on the, the penalty record and on the attacking prowess of Brennan Johnson and George Grant but actually it's it is defensively where these teams stand out numbers wise anyway uh, and it was just 1-0 and it took a, a sensational goal from Ben Whiteman uh, absolutely magnificent starting Unbelievable the, starting goal. the attack um, receiving the ball back and uh, thumping in a left foot shot from range. Uh, it was a, a goal fit to win a game between between the two sort of early dark horses, as we've kind of dubbed them, I think. Um, you know, no great shame for Lincoln, who had a, f- a few chances in, the, and in this game. But Donny were very good for it, I would say, and, and probably had the better chances outside of the goal, uh, if you know what I mean. So really impressive mm. stuff. Then there's three winners in, in League One who I think their fans would, would probably agree that they weren't necessarily at their best in victory. Rob, a uh, Blackpool fan, tweeted us to say we did just enough to win uh, against a Burton side that has lost six of its 10 games, has just six points through 10. Uh, James, Sunderland fan, said, well, this game, Sunderland's 2-0 win against Gillingham turned on, on a penalty miss from Gills and a red card. So pretty straight, Absolutely ridiculous. Pretty straightforward game. analysis there. We were poor prior to this. Sunderland played into Gillingham's hands terrible. with awful ball retention. I mean, was this sent in by... by James, Sunderland fan, or have you got an alternative account under the I mean, guise were, of a Sunderland fan? Because you're very much were, in, in line here. They were absolutely terrible. And Gillingham, uh, I mean, you'll do well to find a side throwing away a, an advantageous position as much as Gillingham did because they were the better side 
against, you know, they'd lost, what, five games in a row before this. They were the better side. They'd get a penalty. Jordan Graham misses the penalty. Two minutes later, Alex McDonald puts in top five worst tackles what you'll see in the EFL ever. It's absolutely, I mean, I just nearly swore. It is horrendous. So then they're down to 10 men. Then they give away the cheapest penalty you're ever going to see. I mean, talk about kind of shooting yourself in the foot. That is three just calamitous um, kind of match events happening purely at their own fault, which have meant that they've gone from being in, in a good position, standing over the ball, playing against a side, not playing well with a penalty to go one up at home with half an hour to go. And 10 minutes later, you're down to 10 men, you're one nil down, having conceded a penalty. Shambles, absolute shambles. Sunderland will be delighted that they managed to get uh, three points here. Well, Northampton left Wigan with all three as well. A 3-2 win. I would say this game was characterised by pretty shoddy defending and I'm afraid that's becoming something of a norm for, for Wigan. They they cannot seem to settle and, uh, you know, there, there's... There's there is obvious excuses given off field turmoil given the squad churn. Um, John Sheridan's got a very very tough job, but what he's really struggling to do um, is is set up his team uh, to to quash the opposition threat, and it's really undermining them at the moment. Because going forward, they've been okay, they've been fine, but they were outdone uh, in the end by Northampton, and it was cool to see the winning goal scored by a youngster, George, who's. who's who's seemingly been knocking on the door for quite a while. The youngster Chuck Wameka. We saw Ivan Tony come through at Northampton Town, didn't we? Have they got another on their hands? Possibly. Possibly. Um, he is very highly thought of at Northampton. Um, the, the goal itself wasn't, um, you know, wasn't necessarily one that oozed star quality, but because I was working on the show on, on Friday, on Saturday, I did some research into him. And it's an interesting story because he's a guy who's come through the youth system, who, um, despite the fact he was, he's 18 years old, was expected by plenty of Cobblers fans to be involved in the first team this season. But Keith Curl um, dropped him to the, well, didn't drop him, just told him to, to go with the youth team squad really early on. Um, well, basically in pre-season. And then um, his dad, Caleb Chukwamaker's dad came and knocked on Keith Carl's door and said, what's going on with my son? Uh, Keith Carl said, I, w- I need your son to show me more hunger. I need to see that attitude. And K- Caleb's dad went back, told Caleb, need to see some hunger, son. We need to see some hunger. And apparently he's been very hungry ever since. And now he's banging in the goals, playing in the first team. So a good bit of man management there from, from Keith Carl. Uh, he's been linked to, to clubs high up the pyramid. So this isn't just kind of a flash in the pan. He's obviously a player who they expect to be um, you know, a, a saleable asset fairly soon. You think back to Ivan Tony, who was um, has, has a similar profile in terms of coming through at Northampton and, and being given minutes and games in his teens. And I'm sure if he, if he can be half the player he is, then they'll be very happy. Not even the biggest prospect in his family either. His mm. brother, Carney, uh, is at Aston Villa. And if you Google his name, Carney Chukwameka, you'll see various uh, ridiculously large statements being chucked around about his talent, which I'm not sure always help a player who's only 16 years old, um, but are very good for clicks. So uh, a talented family there, it's fair to say. Uh, In League Two, George, we've got four teams who had a six-point week. Let's start at the top with uh, Newport County, who are absolutely flying. 2-1 win against Colchester in midweek with an Armand 91st-minute winner and sent them nuts, and a 2-1 win on the weekend against Harrogate with a Brandon Cooper 88th-minute winner. When a team's 
at the very top of the table, we do have to start treating them a little bit differently. So we've given so much praise to Newport. I'm going to start getting hard with them here. Do they need to, to <laughs> do they need to start performing better in order to keep up this winning run? They've they've left it very late here. Uh, and actually, Dan Newport side, uh, fan said they weren't particularly good here, even after Harrogate went down to 10 men. I mean, they, from what I saw, they battered them still. <laughs> and, and they still created a lot. Um, I just I mean, don't the, want to be accused of being a, a Newport County fan or fanboy. You, know you know I've got the tracksuit top. You know we've spoken about them on Sky. Just trying to provide a bit of balance more than anything. <laughs> if, there, if there's ever a time where I think you can be um, a Newport fanboy, it's probably when they're miles five points clear at the top of League Two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to apologise now. Um, I mean, the, the funny thing with this was just, you know, after all we've spoken about about Newport, about you know this new style of football and the passing style. And in fairness, the first goal from Patrick Armand was at the end of a really nice slick move. For all that chat, one all against ten men, eighty eighth minute, ball in the box, Brandon Cooper, bang header. You know, the, the Newport of old, the Newport that we that we uh, that we used to associate. Mike Flynn's team with um, the means of getting the points, and and it's important. You know they've got they've got to be a team who can do both. Um, you know they they probably did enough in the game to win it. They conceded from a set piece uh, to a man with, to a team with ten men, which was a re- the reason why they weren't already home and hosed. Um, terrible antics from Falkingham, the um, the Harrogate captain, mm. being sent off for a second yellow for diving in like the thirty fifth minute. And the first really one of those, up- I think it's the first one of those I've seen this season. The old I mean, uh, the old second yeah. booking after a dive. It was it was just the way that it's such a blatant dive, and sometimes when you see that and you see them kind of sheepishly looking at the ref, he was giving the ref the big one. He went down and he was like, "That's a penalty!" Arms in the air, running towards it, double down you know, on it. Th- th- there was no getting away from the fact that it was simulation in order to try and deceive the officials. Um, I'm sure he'll be pretty embarrassed looking back on it. Um, but yes, I mean for Newport. <laughs> It's getting kind of similar to, to Reading stuff, where if they carry on racking points up at this at this rate, then even a really poor run of form is going to see them towards the top end of the table. Well, I like to. I don't like to be predictable. I like to do the unexpected. So, despite what you've said there, I'm predicting the winning run comes to an end on Tuesday night in Carlisle. <laughs> Is that the unpredictable? Yes. It comes to an okay. end on Tuesday night. And uh, so does Charlton's, by the way. I don't think Charlton will continue and win against Fleetwood. So that's that's just uh, uh, some early midweek predictions. Port Vale have got two wins this week. And it was the one in midweek that was more impressive, wasn't it? Beating Cheltenham uh, away from home. What a result that was. In, in reality, on the weekend, they came up against a South End side that they coasted past in, in second gear, I think it's fair to say. I guess credit to the manager... Uh, ASCII for starting Tom Pope in this one um, because I think there are probably more and more games in League Two where Tom Pope's qualities and, dare I say, his his um, deficiencies uh, mean that it's harder for him to rack up the goals as much as he would have done in previous years. We've obviously seen him score plenty at this level. I think it was 150 goals, league career goals he reached um, on Saturday. But in certain games... He's going to be exactly the right man to exploit the frailties of, of an opposition team. And I dare say he was perfect to exploit Southend's frailties here. Uh, the form of, of Worrell, the improved form of Worrell, has been uh, huge for Vale. Because if you remember a few weeks ago, they really weren't creating anything. Uh, and they seem to have improved that in the last few weeks. So uh, a really positive week for Port Vale. And a very positive one for Crawley Town as well. 
George, Yems' Gems, 4-0 winners against Tranmere in midweek, and then 2-1 winners against Cambridge. One thing I'm really enjoying uh, when it comes to, to watching Crawley at the moment is just really brave attacking play. They they really throw men forward. If you watch the, the first goal, there's there's essentially a, a there's five players as part of the front line as they work it and just and there's three players essentially in midfield roles sort of getting it into the final third and then so many bodies up there when they have them. Tom Nichols was the star in this one. He, he scored a goal uh, a header mm. from a corner. I, I doubt Tom Nichols has ever scored <laughs> a header from a corner. So Mark Bonner will be fuming with his Cambridge uh, defensive setup there. But it was the assist that caught my eye. Just a clever pass for Watters. Um, and I noted that Nichols has had the third most touches in the Crawley side uh, on the weekend. That's notable because we've always known he's a clever player, a clever link player, and they're getting him on the ball. And he's, a, you know, he's he has got the technical quality at this level um, to be both a creator and a goal scorer. So it's nice to see him get his confidence back. It's been so many years, obviously, in League One, both with Bristol Rovers and Peterborough, where Nichols really struggled to score specifically and copped a lot of flack for it. So. He's such a nice player when he's on form, uh, the sort of player that I like watching, so I'm happy to see him do well. Um, as for Cambridge, I didn't think this was necessarily one to overreact to. Pretty tight no. game, all told. They hit the woodwork twice as well. Um, not a disaster by any means. Their, just, uh... um, their shot map is, I mean, for, for people who like this, it's, it's, you'll, you'll swoon. It is beautiful. It is just loads and loads of shots kind of in and around the, the six yard box so that's enough for me to just kind of draw a line through this defeat also and, um, still still very keen on on mark bon jovi <laughs> there was one team that hadn't won any games uh, before this week now they've won two uh, barrow who beat mansfield 4-2 in midweek then beat bradford 1-0 on the weekend how worried are we about bradford yeah pretty worried pretty worried mm. they 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 look very poor, don't they? I mean, they beat Mansfield, which didn't look too impressive at the time and now looks less impressive. And uh, yeah, that's one to get on to if it continues, I think. I want to praise Barrow here because I think they've, Fair play. they've they've played pretty well all season and, and been undermined by defensive howlers. And they've managed to more or less avoid those in the last two games and got the results that they deserved. Uh, Dior Angus looks a real handful up front. Um, and yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of impressed by Barrow, um, and they're not a million miles off Harrogate now. So um, be interested to see if those two continue their rivalry from last season in a, in a fight mm. towards the the top half of League Two. Uh, George four nil, Leighton Orient beat Bolton. This is probably the eye catching result of the weekend in League Two. Some absolutely stunning goals scored as well from Orient. Yeah, Joby, Joby in amongst the goals. Um, Joe McEnough getting his first EFL goal since March 2017. Uh, I mean, they were playing in all... non-league. He was playing in non-league, wasn't he, for at least a year of that? Correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, of, of all the players in EFL who I don't want to have a go at, um, I must say that Grellin, the keeper at Bolton, is is pretty high on that list. Billy Grellin. Um, so I should mention as well that he he did make a penalty save. Um, in this one, a second penalty but save in a week for Crelin. Second save penalty save in a week for Crelin, but his his positioning for a couple of those goals, um, not necessarily Joby's, but for Wilkinson's, um, and especially for for Craig Clay's, which is probably the goal of the day, the fourth goal. But at the same time, I'm not entirely sure why Crelin is so far off his line um, when Clay hits the ball from 25 yards out. Like it's 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 pretty weird. Mm. You'd think it would be a fairly regulation save if he was just. Um, on his line um, but again I feel like Credin has been hung out to dry a bit by a certain person so I'm not 
too willing to to lay into him too much. Um, but you know, if we're going to criticise anybody at Bolton, it, it has to be that man. It has to be Ian Everett, who must be feeling a little bit concerned at the moment. He must be a little bit hot under the collar. You know, now you look at the League Two table and you see Bolton down in nineteenth um, place, and you see Barrow, the team that he he left, up in fifteenth, two points ahead of him. Uh, what I said, I think, still sticks. A couple of weeks ago, where you know the, any preseason expectations of Bolton's to return back to League One next season are now over, so the decision has to be made as to whether or not Ever is still the guy they want to to lead their club, still the coach they're willing to trust. A couple of weeks ago, when I said that, it seemed pretty obvious that he should be. More performances and results like Saturday, and and that question becomes a little bit more pertinent because things don't seem to be going the right way. Um, they've conceded 16 goals in 10 games. They've scored just just eight, and the performances seem to be on the slide. And we're not really even seeing much evidence of this of this slick football that the that the reputation was for Everett before he arrived. So, I mean, they're they're very lucky that this season it looks like there are at least two sides in the league who are destined for the drop in Scunthorpe and Southend. Um, so there is time here to turn things around but I mean Saturday was was hopefully for Bolton fans was, was rock bottom because it was very bad by contrast a, a great run of form now for Orient who have moved into the top half they've won three and drawn one in their last two weeks and quite importantly I think because it was an issue for them last season they've only conceded one goal uh, in that period going forward not too many issues at the moment you've got DJ Danny Johnson on six goals Connor Wilkinson has four Jordan Maguire-Drew, who's a player we've always liked a lot, he's he's only really getting a bench role at the moment, so uh, offering a threat when he does come on. I, I saw Embleton called the Waltham Forest Wenger, which I really enjoyed uh, on the weekend, and <laughs> uh, and you're obviously from that neck of the woods as well, so yeah. you need to, need to watch out for that. Elsewhere in League Two, we had tight games in the top 10 between Cheltenham and Forest Green. This one was edged by the Robins' Ben Throza. Bentoza's long throw back in business for Cheltenham's first goal. What a threat they are from those. 2-0 up and Forest Green had a mountain to climb. Cheltenham seeing it out relatively comfortably and flexing their muscles, I suppose, on their county rivals. Forest Green, of course, with lofty ambitions this season. Uh, Cambridge winning that one and going ahead of Forest Green. They've got 19 points from 10 games. A very, very solid start indeed. And Exeter edged what was described to us as an attritional game in tough, windy conditions against Carlisle. This Sunday scouting report came in from SEA Grecians. Carlisle lumped lots of balls into the box without creating much and would have been frustrated to have conceded from one of Exeter's few crosses. Tom Parks immense at the back for Exeter. That will have been a tough one for Carlisle to take, of course. Tom Parks having been a very popular Carlisle player not too long ago. And we also saw comfortable wins for Salford City, who beat an Oldham side that really are struggling defensively, certainly at the moment. And Morecambe, who were comfortable-ish, 1-0 winners against Tranmere. Comfortable, I say, because they created almost all of the chances in the game, although they had to rely on another penalty to get all three points. So possibly a little fortunate in, in, in some ways, Morecambe not taking their chances particularly well, but leaving with three points. And that was the end for Mike Jackson, Tranmere manager who took over from Mickey Mellon in the summer. It was an 
internal appointment. He had been part of Mellon's backroom staff as Tranmere flew up two flights from non-league all the way to League One, but has not taken to life as the number one easily. This Tranmere side have been pretty desperate at times. I think it's fair to say they've desperately struggled to create any sort of chances, any sort of threat from open play, especially there's been a couple of victories against Scunthorpe and against Southend, sort of fueled by James Vaughan, but obviously against the two worst sides in the division. So they've parted company. Jackson leaves the club. And I mean, as we record this morning, Nigel Adkins is one of the favourites for the role. That would be very interesting indeed. John McGreal, I've seen linked. He's obviously a former Tranmere legend and knows this division very well, having managed Colchester over the last few years. So watch this space for a Tranmere appointment. That's it for this week's pod. All that's left after this breathless pod and with midweek action to follow on Tuesday and Wednesday is to remind you to download the Skybet EFL Rewards app. They sponsor this podcast. It takes no time at all to download, to sign up and to check into your team's game this midweek and play the spinner for your chance to win rewards. There are so many rewards being given out to EFL fans at the moment and you've got the chance to win them by checking in and also by playing the predictor on the app, predict the scores from the league of the team that you support this midweek. Thanks for the support of the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Thanks for your support. As always, guys, follow us on Twitter at NTT20pod and let us know what you think. Be great to hear from you ahead of the midweek action as well. We hope that everyone is staying safe and staying well. These are very tricky times and we are always so grateful for your support. So let us know if there is any way that we can support you as well. We will enjoy the distraction of EFL football over the next month as ever. And there will be no lack of talking points from the three best leagues in the world. That's it from us. We'll talk to you again soon.